Hello, and <laughs> welcome to another episode of Map to the Stars. Welcome to another year of this tired existence. Yay. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Michelle, and it's 2021. 2021, and we're still your filmy chartographers. This is the podcast um, that looks to the stars abroad in Hollywood and above in the night sky. Mm-hmm. We take a look at a creative artist's film work and their astrological charts. Astrological, astrological charts. And we compare and contrast them with the themes, and we see if uh, anything translates over does their, uh, in this episode, dripping Scorpio energy play into the camera work and colors? Explicitly does so does. with this one. We're really excited about this episode. A, I think because it's the best movie that we've covered so far. But one of the best movies I've ever seen. Yes. And yeah, I had never yeah. seen it previously, which Only is a shame. second time for me. Yeah, I wish I saw it in theaters too. I was a cheap oh asshole back then. That I just didn't amazing. go see it at TIFF. Imagine I know, that. and you lived down the street from it too. Oh, I guess at that time? No. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah you of course. Yeah. Yeah. You snoozed. That, like, <laughs> I'm yeah. really upset. It's okay. I watched it like at, uh, at a, you know, just under 720p probably. There will 720 be like, probably. There will be more Academy Award winning films playing at TIFF that you can see. But this is a, especially like a spectacular film. And I'm more Academy Award winning films that I watch on my laptop uh, just under 720p. Fully. Mm. Like we watched last night, a couple, okay, whatever. We watched, we could talk about the movies we watched this week. No, that was like last, that was last, eh, that was last episode that we did that. Oh, you don't I wanted to ask, well, no, what I was thinking, not to be bossy, but I was just thinking new year, new resolutions. Ooh, I got some. Yeah, we don't want to call them resolutions, but they're resolutions. We're not going to. They're definitely resolutions. We're not going to try to be cooler than we are. (laughs) (laughs) We make resolutions. Uh, We try not to call them that so we don't fall on our faces, on our asses and, um, Fail at them. What are yours? I'll, I'll reveal mine. Though we're aligning ours pretty well, honestly. Mine are pretty like mundane. It's funny. Do you know there's, there's so many studies that like your New Year's resolutions like fail. 90% of them are like, like a, a high. In. Yeah, like yeah. three weeks or something. It's They're like the lofty. gym statistic where everyone's there the first week. I mean, not during COVID. Was this um, a press release from Planet Venice or something that they're like, control, <laughs> but like gym. also subscribe and get a membership. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Mine... Mine are kind of just like be a better person um, to the planet. That's not lofty. Oh, to the planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah to yeah, the yeah. planet. In general, I think I'm an okay person. I'm not mean to people. I do what I can. Um, I try to give. Mm, actually, that's something I should do more. You know, when you go to like the grocery store or chapters um, or Indigo, one in the same, and they ask you, do you want to date? do you want to donate to the, like the love of reading fund i want to do that yeah, more because i'm is like it always have the, the love of reading yeah for kids really? yeah and i yeah uh, like i have the means to so just give a well, dollar yeah, yeah that's one goal consume less plastic um these are the ones that these are these are the ones that are core lining yeah yeah well, both of us have these uh i didn't think about uh sick kids reading books or whatever you just yeah, said. Yeah, I should donate more. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. like find a charitable cause. We got a cat this year from the Humane Society, so like donate to them. Um, that was already a plan. Already a plan. In the works, but Eat for my, for my, well, <laughs> speaking of that, it's sort of like le- buying less bagged kale, pre-bagged, and just bagging it Loose. ourselves with our own. Non-plastic bags. Exactly. Just mesh yep. uh, reusable bags that we wash and everything like yeah. that, which we're okay on, but we're really trying to be diligent here at the beginning of the year. We're trying to cut on our grocery costs because we like go hardcore on like Daya or I do. 
because you're lactose. You're like a shareholder like, at this point. I know. You're on the, you're on the board. <laughs> My God, I should be. You're I on love the cheese. You're products. on the non uh, dairy cheese board. <laughs> I know you because you're lactose. Me because I go animal consumption. Let's get rid I, of you, all of that. But you buy it. You I are do buy like it. spearheading getting God, the cream I love cheese. Daya. It's delicious. I know. I bought two tubs of cream cheese and I go, the last time I had a bag, I was like university. Like, yeah, I ha- same. You know? So anyway. <laughs> like four years since I had a bagel. I know. It was but good, that country harvest. Oh, delicious. So one other one. One other one. Um, oh, unless you don't Kale was good. Yeah, be healthier. <laughs> Learn how to bake better. I think I like want to have a goal to bake once every week or two weeks. And I've made My scones today. To I know, but I burnt them. So it's like, scones. don't burn the shit you make. And it's hard because we don't use. Scones, this is like getting boring. Scones. I'm sorry, but be better. Yeah, at baking. I didn't want to run okay. too long. Okay, go. <laughs> no, those what? are my resolutions. <laughs> You're in the middle of a sentence. What were, what were you going to end on the baking thing? Oh, just like don't burn it. Just bake better stuff. It's good <laughs> stuff. It just we have a powerful oven. We have a powerful oven. I know. So my uh, quick and dirty resolutions are. Um, Yes, to consume and use less plastic for sure. I'm right there. Um, but we were, I guess, spending less money on groceries, uh, but sort of bridging that. I got on a real thought train. I got obsessed with, for a weekend, just really not wanting to buy any material goods. Um, don't buy Records. superfluous. Yeah. Can, can I talk? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> buy... Uh, not buy any superfluous stuff. I have a stack of books. I have a stack of video games. Again, digitally, we're not really, I'm not consuming that much plastic. But I have so much stuff on the backlog. I'm sure all of us out here have stuff that we haven't used, watched, gamed, read. You know, just just go through it now and then reward yourself at the end of the year with new stuff, you know, with stuff that you want to buy. So that's my thing. It's sort of like it ends up being that much more special when you do buy. Okay, um... Our holidays were good. I hope, uh, we hope yours were also okay. Yeah. Very quiet. Mentally tell us what you did. Literally. Well, I don't know. We'll be posting oh, this. Yeah, Post I on guess. our Instagram. Oh, yeah. You can we follow We haven't us. even finished it. Yeah, let's roll the credits. Subscribe, like, <laughs> share with <laughs> your friends. Like, we're going to have a YouTube channel soon. I think that's my plan for the next little bit. That's a, re- that's a here's a lofty resolution. And when Just you like, say it, I, we plan to. I, I hope we. I hope we can uh, produce. Actually, specifically with this episode, just get it on YouTube. Barry Jenkins, the guy <laughs> that we're looking at today, Moonlight specifically, which will be the centerpiece, the masterpiece that we are looking at. Chef's kiss today. Oh, five out of five, ten out of ten, ten out of ten, hundred out of hundred, a plus. Um, there is so much content and formal elements in the film and the astrological content. It all lines up like crazy. We're going to talk about it. So get ready. But that's uh, maybe an idea for one video that we'd like to do. So if you don't want to hear us ramble and you just want to get to, if you want to treat your eyes and and your ears, I really hope we uh, follow through with that because that'd be really nice. And that'd be nice. That'd be nice. Um, Okay. Transitioni. You want to do a little transition? (laughs) okay give it up okay let's dive right in uh we're gonna take a look at barry jenkins today on this episode not just moonlight and not just moonlight we're gonna take a look uh look at all three of his uh feature length special presentation feature presentations medicine for moonlight (laughs) medicine for melancholy jeez medicine for there's so many m's yeah medicine for melancholy medicine for melancholy 2008 moonlight 2016 won the best picture in a very fumbled amazing way 
Yeah, we and we're also talking about if Beale Street could talk. 2018. 2018. James Baldwin ad- adaptation of yep. uh, his 1974 book. Nice. All really good stuff. Um, Yield Barry Jenkins. You want to give us a rundown of this amazing filmmaker? He's fantastic. Um, the only thing Boom. I can, the only thing I really want to like highlight before we jump into it is that uh, when he was born, November 19th, 1979. Uh, wait, what did that face look like? It's 13 years to the day, I think, after my mom was born. Ooh, November 19th. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, I didn't put that together. That's all good. So they share a... Barry and Billy. Sunshine. Barry and Billy. <laughs> Both great people. Hey. Um, born in Liberty City, Miami. Uh, one... Oh, never mind. What? Nothing. I'm just repeating stuff all the time. Yeah, yeah. Liberty City, Miami. Um, we don't have his birth time, uh, again, like Greta. So there was one website that said he was born like just after midnight, but I don't know. I just went with like noon PM. Just after moonlight? (laughs) Just after midnight. Uh, we don't have his birth time, so we don't have, uh, his ascendant positions, his, um, houses, the exact angles. The transits? Uh, No, the moon, uh, the moon moved that day. It was new moon in Scorpio, but like the... The moon moved uh, in from Scorpio to Sagittarius at like 8 p.m. So mm-hmm. I'm going to take a real good guess that he has a Scorpio moon, which means that he literally has his sun in Scorpio, his moon in Scorpio, his Mercury in Scorpio, I mean. his Uranus in Scorpio. So he has a lot of Scorpio energy. So don't get close to his tail. <laughs> that should have stayed. He got the pincers. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's something that we particularly pulled a lot of in Moonlight. You know, and I think it'll be an interesting way to kind of give like the Scorpio sign uh, more complexity than what it's given in like pop astrology. Because I'm a Scorpio. I know it gets a bad rap a lot of the time for Mm -hmm. being super like evil, dark, problematic, really like sensual or sexual. Um, But there's elements in that in these movies, though. I know. know, And I have that noted down as well. But I think there is a lot more complexity to it. And even just based on our conversations, like we found a lot of Scorpio elements in Moonlight specifically. That'll be fun to take a look at. So lots of Scorpio energy, feminine's dominant. He has a good mix of fire and water signs, which I think is really exemplified in the movies. Um, So like really emotional themes, but really like fiery, like hard driven um, characters, things like that. So we'll take a look at all of that. Yeah. Clear that goddamn throat. When I talk too much, I... Lose my breath. You think I would have learned better breath control in radio school, but I didn't. Um, past that, I think this is something we'll talk about with all three of his movies, but there are a lot of themes in his charts and they're more generational placements, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which really speak to the f- sprawling timelines in both his, you know, 2010 movies. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think some of the um, placements in his birth chart that are slower moving or more generational, meaning that like, Everyone born within like a 12-year span or a 14-year mm-hmm. span has those same placements. A lot of that speaks to kind of like the themes that he presents in, a, in his movies. I think from Medicine to Moonlight to Beale Street, they all tackle the same themes of like identity, race, sexuality, yeah. uh, masculinity. And feeling like an outsider, uh, both in terms of like within your own community and outside of it, beyond those borders as well. Right, exactly. Those like uh, metaphorical borders. Yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. And like Moonlight, I think is kind of the first of its kind. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of what it's talking about and how successful it was. So, 
you know, his Uranus is in Scorpio. He's someone that, you know, might want to work towards really radical, positive social mm-hmm. change. Um, his son and Mercury, Mercury are conjunct Uranus. So basically like a refusal of generally accepted truths. Um, this is not how things should be. And through my art and the way I express myself, I'm going to work towards, you know, breaking down these generally accepted truths. Um, and getting to the real truth that exists for a lot of other people, but it's not portrayed in that way especially in hollywood exactly really yeah for sure especially you know accepted by the academy which has had its own run of so many race identity etc issues for sure identity crises uh, in hollywood for sure absolutely so then yeah like neptune sextile pluto pluto and libra it's just basically he's someone based on his chart that seems like he'd you know what this kind of explanation says for Neptune sextile Pluto is that it's a longer lasting aspect, but it further enhances like peace building and transformative actions on a global scale, which I think is really uh, applicable. Pluto and Libra is bringing about major social transformations through your art because Libra, you're a Libra. It's ruled by Venus, Mm -hmm. you know, expressive, creative, artistic, eye for beauty, things like that. So bringing all of these important social themes into his art. That's how he's working towards positive social reformation almost. So I think generationally, and I think his chart um, on a more specific personal level, I think it really makes sense that this is what he has decided he wants to work towards in his movies. Yeah, he's working on a series, The Underground Railroad. Uh, right and and for the trailer uh, from the trailers and all the uh, sneak peeks from what I can see it's it's running along the same t- train tracks for sure. <laughs> as the rest of his work I'm excited for everything that he's working on I I didn't see the new Lion King so I don't know about the Lion King sequel but I'll absolutely watch yeah I'd love to watch this that. new line the new Lion King mm-hmm. um, to watch his sequel whatever yeah. the hell it's going to be would so, love to um, do you mind if I take over just a little bit. Just nice. to bounce off of something from from what you're saying, so of course, so there is a um, social harmony aspect to it that you were talking about, or what? What specifically? What what term did you use again? Like social building, like uh, peace oh, building, for sure. Yeah. So this was just an explanation for his son and Mercury are both conjunct Uranus, so they're all like I said, they're all in Scorpio. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's with kind of the more powerful dark nature of Scorpio. It's like uh, and Uranus in there, which is working towards like eccentricity, upheaval, um, making changes on a, on a big scale. So yes. with all of those things together, an explanation is just that it's a refusal of quote unquote generally accepted truth. So it's working towards, you know, radical social change in that way. Yeah. But then and breaking down, you know, what has been told is like yes. truthful. But you had said something about peace building, peace building, right? So it's, yeah, it's ne- that Neptune with them to negotiate. So to negotiate those generally accepted truths and break down and sub- not subvert them, but just completely abolish them in terms and sort of in, uh, investigate why they're there, how we can break down and, you know, build more peace. It For actually, sure. it actually, yeah. So it actually builds off of some of what I was reading that, um, and you can go through his Instagram account and he has so many, um, lock screens of mm-hmm. James Baldwin. Yeah. And he had worked on the Beale Street adaptation mm-hmm. uh, and and had written all of it, I'm assuming, you know, maybe a few drafts here and there. Right. Before um, he actually made the movie, but before Moonlight, that was already ready. He couldn't, he tried to option it out. He couldn't get it made and then made Moonlight, uh, which was an unproduced play. Right. Um, so 
James Baldwin, and I was reading, because um, I'm unfamiliar with his novel work, but I know I've I read his essays in school. And right. a lot of his his universal theme as to how, you know, the white and black world might coexist is through love. And um, one thing was that white supremacy is perpetuated by this innocence. James Baldwin said that white supremacy and everything that's perpetuating it, there needs to be that innocence that's you have to evacuate all of those emotions and bring love into it. And white people need to learn how to love Oh, I like that. Well, yeah. And that was, and so, and that was, you know, sort of going, it was more of a, um, uh, an explanation and a comparison of that. And again, how the film Beale Street really deals with that and how it showcases love. So, but Baldwin, I guess, ended up through uh, near the end of his writing career it started to be more about love and black communities and black households, black intimacy and black love right. with one another. And that's a huge thing in all these movies. That's why I wanted to bring it up. And that's why I thought, oh, great. <laughs> the actual, obviously, duh thing of this podcast trying to bridge that. So I wanted to pinpoint that because it is so much about, um, you know, investigating these stereotypes, of these course, prejudices yeah. and, um, you know, break through that glass of race and identity and and the masks um, and the performative aspect of everything, which I'll get to, um, mm-hmm. and and find something universal in it. Because obviously, we're two white people. <laughs> yeah, we're dealing with this, so we're we're beating around the bush in terms of a lot of us. A not wanting to sound innocent, if I can use that word, but also ignorant. Mm-hmm. So um, with that, trying to be very scholarly and academic about this, <laughs> and really you know come at it in terms of what's there in the content in the film. And that's why I think I'm so excited for this because there's so much formally and, and contextually like in Astrological. such and incredible such films that it's like exciting movies. to Moonlight talk about. the best movie we have covered and yeah, will yeah. cover for a while. I I'm don't sure. Know. I really don't know. Yeah. Citizen Kane doesn't match. I'm sorry. No. I know we're going to watch this soon. <laughs> Not for the podcast, but okay. So, so with that involved, I have a little uh, sentence here and for all intents and purposes, um, it's going to be in the friggin' episode description, but I got it here and, uh, listener, write down your thoughts. It's a bit easier to <laughs> come out <laughs> with it, uh, when you're saying it. So Barry Jenkinson's, uh, filmography features storytelling punctuated by bold symbolic color palettes, camera work, specifically the fluid panning across domestic scenes and his inviting close-ups that accentuates physical and emotional intimacy, which creates a safe space whereby his characters share a collective hope and love for one another. Through both color and cinematography slash shot choice, Barry creates a world that externalizes interior thought and emotion, both fractured or damaged, and whole or life-affirming. That's what I got. <laughs> and, and then from there, we'll... That we'll, was very well worded. Well, thank you. Again... I like that. I'm not saying this off the, off the bat. It helps a little bit. So if I can work backwards... Sure. ...a little bit mm-hmm. and... Uh, Again, we're going to be focusing really primarily on Moonlight. Moonlight, And I don't want to spoil that. So I do want to quote a few others because these are not my ideas. So Hannah George's for The Atlantic writes, um, this is for Beale Street. So I'm kind of going to be working backwards Makes and sense. then bridging all these movies. And then we can have this uh, fluid conversation as, uh, as the camera work is in many of Barry's movies. Very fluid. Hannah George's on The Atlantic writes, even as Tish and Fawny. Um, respectively, the two lovers, um, the two protagonists in Beale Street, uh, face entrenched discrimination and mounting legal hurdles. The love between the two never wavers. 
It is singular in its expression, but it doesn't stand alone. A constellation of love surrounds them. Love that. Oh, love that. Yeah, but also constellation great. just brought to mind all these astrological things and how and how specifically what I was thinking where, you know, he has a very externalizing the interior. Yeah. It's a very there's subjective points of views in a lot of his movies. Beale Street is a little bit more objective. Mm-hmm. Medicine for Melancholy um, is an interesting beast. Uh, but Moonlight is a very much Chiron who's the you know lead character in that, played right. by three wonderful actors who I will name uh, later when we're focusing on them later. Mm-hmm. But it's Chiron's interior thoughts and emotions and feelings and uh, hope, not hopelessness, but a uh, there's a there's a lovelessness there. You know, he's not being taken care of until Juan, the Hirschlocker, Mahershala Ali, mm-hmm. and Teresa, Janelle Monet become his uh, surrogate family and show him that love. And so- it's all in there, and I know it's tough to talk about and not get all over the place. But it's if it's this there. Turns into a two part episode. It's honestly fine because <laughs> no, and it's all it's, my fault. No, it's it's um. No, we can be succinct about it too. So it's it's all there though, and it's all around them, and it surrounds it, and that's I think uh, I think it is part of that subjective point of view, which is so important in his movies. Yeah. Um. Just as much as the universal themes that you're talking about and those truths, it's because they've been. A, internalized by the characters. And it's Absolutely. about those perceptions, right? And yeah. and so they're then projecting them outwards again. And so it just ends up, unfortunately, unvali- um, continually like validating and legitimizing those for, sure. for the characters until they can break out and self-actualize, essentially, specifically Moonlight, but especially Beale Street, which is more of a societal discrimination and, and, it's- and, and it's more about the white male gaze on that community. That's, that's what's bridging the lovers apart, right? That's that's the generally accepted truth that they just, that's their fate. They're not surprised by it. It's tragic, um, but it's it's accepted. You don't see what happened. You just know, at one point I was sure that we were gonna see Fawny be framed by the cop, but you don't have to see it because you know it to be true. For I sure, think again, yeah. formal, you know, sort of what's in the movie itself. I think that that's so important that you actually don't see it happen because you know it to be true and it ends up being truer because Barry doesn't even show it. You understand that this happens. It's systemic. Right. And with that, so Beale Street, I think specifically because, like you said, it is more, um, less of a subjective thing, more of, um, you know, here's what's happening on a societal level. I think it's a movie that's both very personal for him, being being black, probably dealing with similar discrimination throughout his lifetime, finding this work that he wants to bring um, to a large audience, talking about these themes on a societal level. So you kind of have both of those sides playing against each other for Barry. Um, well, but- he actually talks about, um, and they talk about in the uh, lenses and a lot of the cin- cinematography, Laxton, <laughs> mm-hmm. they try to, um, and I think achieve to, you know, I didn't I didn't bridge this or anything, but um, you know when they're leaving the, the Spanish restaurant, Diego mm-hmm. Luna's in there? Yep. Um, they tried to make it look like a 1940s Hollywood golden age movie. And so it's, and, and that's why, not when I was trying to say not subvert or anything, but they're trying to use the framing of what is traditionally white and what was traditionally dominant within that time, which has this, you know, sort of, it adds an elegance to it, no, you know, nonetheless, but it's that much more powerful because it's two black characters in the 70s dealing with this. Right. And that's why I think with this movie, specifically with Beale Street, because it's an adaptation, I didn't want to astrologically take the same look at it as we did Moonlight because 
it's, it is based on James Baldwin's work. Um, not saying that he hasn't put himself into the film, yeah. into the adaptation. Because it works with Moonlight and Medicine. Like it, it takes, I mean, that's why, look, he's influenced by Baldwin. So he's going to have it in his work that he also adapts from the, from the screenplay for, uh, for the play from, from Moonlight. So all I did read is that Barry Jenkins, his North Node uh, and his Jupiter are conjunct James Baldwin's moon and mercury conjunction in virgo so that was a lot of like words that i just said but <laughs> yeah. um virgo was a theme for me that kept coming up there's virgo in a lot of barry jenkins chart as well which i think we'll talk about later and by a lot i mean there's two or three things that i think are important but it's kind of like well you want to do this work for your community you want to do this work for james baldwin baldwin and and, and, yeah. and do his work justice so you're like kind of the perfect like vessel to to share this story both in a different time uh and to a different audience yeah. but you know i i should have checked but like i'm not sure what year the the book was published 74 74 74 you said that before <laughs> <laughs> but 74 before 74 what is that like 40 years later and it's still Almost relevant so. right so i thought that kind of aspect between the author and the director was interesting yeah. because it's like he's doing a service to his work and he's um, kind of keeping it relevant and keeping it yeah. uh, in conversation. Yeah. We've said that already a, co- a few times between each other. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, why don't I introduce the two things and I can keep just bringing up color and camera work and then we can kind of easily then just really bridge into moonlight and have the, and then start to spool out from there because there's something that others before us have many people, yeah, have done with actually bridging an astrological myth and something we've already talked about in the previous episode with Greta, yeah. uh, and before that, and something that's really big, and then uh, dealing with Sharon. Uh, okay, so um, specifically in in, in Beale Street, um, I want to talk about. So Laxton talks about how they shot on these lord larger larger format 65 millimeter lenses which basically just means it's very big and focused detail but there's a vintage softness to it and again they're trying to emulate sort of 40s style um but make it still modern and also portray an accurate and truthful you know 70s harlem so he talks about um you'll see much more expression and much more of the physical performance someone is giving and i always came back to the physicalness of perform of the performances because it was so intimate between each other and that's because they place the camera in between the actors often um i saw in a bunch of reviews that they called jenkins's hallmarkers trademarks for um these very confrontational direct address uh camera shots (laughs) i I was so good and then yeah these these close-ups but it's these director address close-ups think jonathan demi silence of the lambs mm-hmm. think of the silence of the lambs but yeah. like instead of uh loathing and uh, death like love and life and everything it's the exact opposite it's loving it's yeah. this warm embrace and less of like a death stare from sure. uh, from hannibal and <laughs> sure. and from you know fawny it's this loving embrace because it becomes this blanket around the world that then protects them um so that's really that's constantly portrayed throughout the movies in these close-ups uh as he says, they, he's trying to engage the audience into the scene to really bring them into these, bring us into these spaces that is intended to feel very intimate and very powerful. So that was great to sort of get that affirmation from Laxton himself. Yeah. And, and Jenkins talks to me. Uh, this is one last big quote 
and then I'll sort of really discuss Beale Street's colors. I already discussed the, discussed the camera work. It's supposed to portray an intimacy. It's supposed to bring us to identify even closer to Fani and Tish mm-hmm. and bring us into those spaces where they feel safe, right? It's a, it's a space where they can, where those generally accepted truths are not so pervasive and they mm-hmm. can keep them outside. And I think um, there's a big thing about sort of personal safe spaces that can harbor more moments of intimacy and love between the characters. And again, that's sort of just a societal truth because again, uh, there's uh, uh, Tish's family are all very concerned once she becomes pregnant, spoilers, that you know it's tough out there for a black pregnant woman in the 70s and that they're looking out for her. So it's, you know, and there's a violation of the body with the guy that uh, in the grocery store and everything like that, right? So it's sacred. The sacred spaces, just as much the intimacy. I mean, the sex scene takes place in this like, subterranean basement and everything, but it's a safe space that he's created for them and everything like that. So it's so, so important. Um, so Jenkins, uh, just last big quote. To me, there was this idea in the writing of this ecstatic nature of black folks when they're surrounded by family, by community, or when they allow themselves to live fully in their love. And so I think part of the film wanted to replicate or reflect that ecstatic feeling. I call it the aesthetic of the ecstatic. <laughs> and it's why some of the colors pulse and sal- saturate. And I think with the pulsing and saturation of, of Tish and Fani's love, which is great. And so I'm not, I'm not the only one to pick out the greens. Someone okay. from the New York Times, Manola Dargas, says, uh, calls it life-affirming, which I kind of took for my description. I liked that life-affirming part. And attributes it to Tish's family, which makes sense. She's wearing the green mm-hmm. um, when they're having the, they're talking at jail, at the jail uh, with the glass and there's yellow walls. But she said it was a gold or a blue. Um, and the gold, I think that also just means that um, there's just a warmth to it. It's a very autumnal movie. It seems to constantly be taking place in the fall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it does. You know, so so those those colors specifically are extremely prevalent. You know, when they leave the Spanish restaurant and they're trying to emulate that 40s scene, um, they have a really lovely, like they're just embracing and shouting in the streets. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it, it is that ecstatic, what is the word, like evulation or something like that of like love? I'm not sure what word you're looking for, <laughs> but I liked your choice there. I, can I look it up quick? <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, I do like the aesthetic quality that you're talking about, even with the colors. Evaluation. Evaluation. No, I don't know. It's something that's really just like bubbling up and, and, and sort of just this great joy yeah. burgeoning up. And it's their, you know, it's their love. And there's just greens and yellows behind them in like a bokeh lens effect, bokeh lens effect and everything. Yeah, yeah. So it is this soft focus. It actually looks like a blanket. It's a bit out of focus. It's like this shroud covering them and protecting them from the world. And it's like just that. that, yeah. And it's that love though, um, and, and it's protecting them from the rest of society. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of life-affirming and there's hope involved there. So it all just ends up portraying hope, which is part of Baldwin's work, which is, again, mm-hmm. we're trying to bridge them two together. And it's about love and it's about hope that can kind of, you know, bridge and destroy or at least uh, negotiate against the generally accepted truths, the ideologies held by everyone. So. Right. What were you going to say? No, I just that I like that kind of theme that you're on about like the aesthetics of the movie itself. And I see that a bit um, Uranus and Scorpio in his birth chart um, in kind of like the honesty and the brutalness of, of the movie sometimes and and how it's depicted. But also, you know, in 2018, when this movie came out, Uranus was then in Taurus. So I see some Taurus elements in that as well, where 
you know, you're presenting this message through a hopeful lens, the use of colors, Taurus is an earth sign ruled by Venus. So that's why I kind of, kind of pull the creative artistic vision into it because it is, it's like, um, that balance between, you know, hard, brutal, honest truth. And, you know, which is, which is which, which is the hard one. Scorpio. Okay. Yes, his, yes, yeah, yes, yes. Sorry. His natal Scorpio. And the darkness. Yeah, there, right? exactly. Yeah, the power, yeah. the, yeah, just the brutal honesty in his natal Uranus and Scorpio, mm-hmm. but 2018 Uranus is in, is in Taurus at that point. And it's, it seems like a nice it's a bit of a balance of the two where thing. it's yeah, like really. aesthetically, you know, aesthetically one, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there is it's that feeling of colors. Hope. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I kind of like the way that those two things yeah. kind of play together that it's not like we'll talk about medicine, but it's not like a depressing black and white movie, um, which would have made it a completely different movie. The Colors in Moonlight, we'll talk about later, but like, don't get me started because that's incredible. But the intimacy in that you can kind of see in Scorpio too, but really it's like just a beautiful film with, yeah, it it is like almost hopeful at that point because of the beauty of it and because of the colors. And as much as I say it's a blanket or a shroud, it's not an escape. It's not when, you know, they're, in these uh, scenes, in these safe domestic spaces where they can be themselves, their conversations very much in, are involved with the dangers in the outside world, mm-hmm. right? As much as the set design is externalized mm-hmm. um, of their own, you know, life-affirming hope and love, you know, the green curtains in the background, there's green everywhere, the scene where they're in the bathtub as kids, they have, there's, um, I think, blue curtains and then, or maybe, yeah, no, there's, there's gold, there's blue walls, gold curtains, yellow curtains, green and soap. green soap, yeah. you know? So it's all there. And as much as it, it's because it is supposed to symbolize and does symbolize, symbolize very, very effectively the hope and love that's manifested generationally, I would say, because it's passed on down, Right. The, the mother, look, you know, Fonny's family's not passing anything down, just hate, sort of just right. like, or a love in God and a hate for sin and any sort of, sort of, you know, breaking off from that path, that religious path. But you have to, you have to sort of overcome that mm-hmm. because there's so many, there's so much more that is a, you're against mm-hmm. outside of that domestic space. So again, I'm not trying to sound ignorant in that saying that it's an escape or it, but it provides protection. That's why I keep saying it's a blanket and sort of visually, literally the, the book of lens provides this because it's out of focus. Right. So it's not out of the frame. You know, the rest of the world isn't out of the frame. And I will speak to that actually in medicine for a quick thing. There's less to talk about for medicine for us, <laughs> I think. Um, but uh, it's it's behind them, but it's a bit out of focus. Right. And, and it's being colored literally, symbolically by mm. the greens and the yellows. And that's that love that they're, you know, sort of it's... Uh, and now I'm rambling because I've already made the point so many no, goddamn times. No, it's all good. They, those colors represent them and their love. Of course. And it's behind them and it's in it's washing in with the background because they're actually able to, again, project love and not the dark Scorpio, Scorpio feelings in but there. But it's both there, right? It's both there. And it's, take, it's, 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 take, it's, it's just out of focus. Take Scorpio, literally. the, you know, Scorpio qualities as a whole. It is this balance between, honestly, as extreme as like life and death. Let's like look at, you know, two of the biggest things that happen during the movie, two of the things that are in focus for the movie. It's, um, you know, Trish, Trish bringing new life yeah. into the world and, and kind of the death of Bonnie's freedom and individuality. But it's not, it's still hopeful, you know, ends on a hopeful note. 
the family's still together in the end. They can't, as much as society tries to, they can't bring the fa- they can't break the family apart. It's a great um, movie. I loved it. Great. Okay. I really enjoyed it. Let's do you want to work back then to the centerpiece? And I, I think can, we should do the centerpiece last. Okay, great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Three, one, two. What do you what do you have for Medicine for Melancholy? Came out in 2008. It's a no budget kind of indie film, and it made uh, a splash. Uh, and it was nominated for, or did he win for the Independent Spirit Award? It did win. Yeah, it did for win. best feature, uh, yeah. best debut feature. Yeah, it's an interesting movie. Um, there's okay performances in it. Wyatt Wyatt Cenac is on The Daily Show or was for a while. Sure. Um, I think he was the senior black correspondent. <laughs> I think that was his name <laughs> on that. Um, and so, you know, he's, he shines Wyatt who plays, um, Micah. Mika. Is it Mika? I thought it was just Micah. Cause remember she, Joe was like, I thought it was Mike. Mike. Okay. Yeah. Right? We'll, 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 uh, we'll stick with that. Um, I think it's Joe and Micah. I can't remember the actress's name now, but anyway, that, that movie, um, they're a bit of like talking heads, mm-hmm. uh, and there's no real natural evolution of conversation from the scene. And it just ends up being a bit of a walking about a city movie, I, which is cool. And yeah. again, it was revolutionary and it was uh, revelatory, let's say not revolutionary, but revel- revelatory because it was about gentrification in San Francisco. Right. Yeah. How I saw it, you know, Barry, it's, it's 2008. It's eight years before Moonlight comes out. Um, yeah. And I think he had a message. He knew what he wanted to talk about. He knew his purpose as a director, as a filmmaker, he knew his purpose and he just kind of like to use the word vessel again. It's like the movie is just a vessel for that message. And that's it's it just, you know, it feels way more so it wasn't as bombastic in its artfulness than right. the next two. Look, he was still he's still playing it with colors. That's my big thing that I'll talk about. He's still playing with colors mm-hmm. and the same camera work, actually, because it's Laxton, James Laxton, still working with him at this point. Right. In the beginning, they're, they're together the whole time. Um, the 10 years spanning this and Beale Street. Yeah. So with this particularly, and I think we talked about this just amongst ourselves too. Mm-hmm. Like we said, Barry has very defined themes in his work. Every movie, you know, kind of tackles a different iteration of the same idea or the same theme um, or few themes rather. Yeah. So his Saturn return started, I believe, in 2007. This movie comes out in 2008. It's kind of in the middle of his Saturn return okay. in Virgo. So again, that service. Um Wait, but so again, what, what what does that mean specifically? The Saturn so return. Saturn return is the time when your Saturn comes full circle and returns to the place it was when you no, were born. No, I remember, but you know, thematically for someone's life. Thematically, it's a time of you know a lot of uncertainty, a lot of okay. change. It's kind of when you're like discovering um, yourself and your yeah. your place and your role in society. It's, Which it's, is so much of Micah's arc. Exactly. So Saturn, the planet of Saturn is all about, you know, rules, restrictions, uh, authority, Mm -hmm. you know, boundaries, institutions. So, you know, yeah, just like establishing your role. Um, Being in Virgo again, it's like what I said, it's like he knew his message and this movie was just serving that message. So that's what I kind of got with that with that Virgo energy. Or I hope that it's, you know, presenting it. Serving, I hate that word oh, serving sorry. something. <laughs> like you a know, bladder. Serving Baldwin's. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? I hate that word, but I get why you're saying uh, it. I apologize, but no, no, no. for me, medicine for melancholy kind of seems like an early draft of what's to come. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So he's Absolutely. kind of just in the midst of like figuring out who he is, what he wants to make. Yeah, he's a couple of years older than I am at that point, yeah. Right, so he's in the middle of it in 2008. 
because Saturn return moves um, or comes to its completion in uh, 2009. So another year after the movie comes out. But really, that's what I thought. I, I think, you know, young Barry Jenkins, you know, his <laughs> first feature film. Yeah. And, and it's just a rough draft at this point. You know, it's an yeah. independent movie. It was made without anything. It, it was just his passion project, I, I think. And for what it was, won an independent independent spirit award. So it's okay. Yeah, great for it's Barry okay. in that point. Yes. But yeah, with that, um, it helps. I think, yeah, he just like, he's, he wants to speak on behalf of his culture, his community, but, um, well, he's it, still figuring it out. He's still in that transitional period yeah, before yeah. he's like fully if we really understanding wanna, himself. Yeah. Yeah. If we really want to actually say the, <laughs> the movie and the man are the exact same, yeah. but I'm, but I think that it actually still watching Beale street just yesterday, you know, we're, yeah. little, we're procrastinating. Uh, no, that's our schedule. No, so, keeps so, the thoughts fresh. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Keeps the colors vibrant. Watching Beale Street and and obviously making sure to cover all his movies because there's only three and we didn't want to skip over it as hard as it was to find kind of. Um, it really helps to frame that. You know, it helps to have medicine as context. If anything, it works as great context for what he's trying to do. It helps to see a rough draft. And the final work because you know the blueprint a little it's bit. It's like right? insane though, because we didn't watch them like back to back. We watched them like with a couple of days in between. Okay. But watching Medicine to Moonlight is like an extraordinary oh, oh, leap. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> where you're like immediately, yeah, like look, they're where shooting it's like, on they got a they only they only shot that for maybe one point five or something. Right. So but you're that's like, a still a small budget movie from A twenty four. But, but Damn, the result is incredible, you know, and you're kind of like camera tech has improved a lot course. in the last decade. Right? But you even saying that like B- the Beale Street was ready before um, or sorry, the script rather, the, the adaptation yeah. screenplay was ready before Moonlight. You're kind of like, OK, well, it's like it's great the way things kind of played out for him. You would have wanted. Yeah. Beale Street uh, has a much higher budget, um, which I think shows. Yes. Yeah. There's more. But they do a lot with the little in Moonlight. Anyway, I know. So I know. medicine. So 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 with that Saturn return and, and um, Barry's journey of trying to figure himself out, that is played out uh, explicitly in Micah, as I've said, uh, Wyatt Cenac's character, and he basically goes on a bunch of sort of rants with um, someone he's met at a party. Uh, in the IndieWire review, I read that they like play date. As a black couple, because she has a white right. uh, artist curator boyfriend. He just got out of a relationship, an interracial relationship. And he goes on a bunch of rants, but, you know, extremely. And rants, I don't want to uh, throw any shade on that by saying rants or anything. But they have conversations, uh, philosophical, sociocultural, sociopolitical, you know, about their identity, their race, where they fit in how they should fit in and what the city says about them and their culture and, you know, if they matter. And he's trying to, he's trying to fit in and he's trying to also be outside of that because they're basically these indie hipster kind of worlds. It's yeah. very emblematic of the late tw- 2000s. Um, the music that they listened to at that party. It's like, a crazy playlist. Uh, not, uh, not at the party, but at the, the club. club. Yeah. Like that, I wish those clubs still exist. They don't. I know. Now. I've never been to a club that like plays that type of music sure i mean sneaky d's would have their indie nights and everything oh, and true. obviously that's more nostalgic but i would like, hot, go hot to <laughs> yeah like i've yeah no for sure like 
early enough in t- t- Toronto when I was there and going out more, like, yeah, there was indie bars. Like, it was sick. It's, You'd like, oh, yeah. this is a good song I'm drinking. Like, I've like, never, I've never seen people dance that way to like the Strokes or something. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. You're like, this is a little different. I've, uh, I've been there. You know, it's fun. You know, yeah. but it, it's, it it's such fun. a time capsule. I know. So anyway, he he feels like an outsider, and 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 the perpetual outsider is envisioned and realized throughout all those movies, especially Chiron and Moonlight, Micah here. And it's, and it's, and it says as much in the beginning of Beale street, almost every black American. So, yeah, um, absolutely. So, so (laughs) the colors in this movie and how it looks very different. How about beating around the bush on this one? It was tiring to look at, but I think it is so bright. Look, it's effective. (laughs) It's effective how desaturated it is. I think thematically, the desaturated colors blend everyone and everything together. Mm-hmm. Because again, if yeah. we're externalizing the interiority of our characters, Micah feel like Micah feels like he has to blend in. That's yeah. what I was thinking, right? Because yeah, I there's agree. because the hues kind of shrink in, and if we're sort of there's like this lifelessness. You know, it's not as life affirming as Beale Street. These colors are like draining him and in because of the gentrification and the discrimination and how much of an outsider and how much he has to um, abandon from his heritage and culture with being with someone at a show and he thinks he's the only one and he knows and he sees that he's the only black person there. It's draining out is it's draining the like lifeblood out of him. Right. And with that, it's draining the color. And I think, you know, sort of thematically, literally, because there's also this vivid sort of um, pragmatic literalness to a lot of Barry's movies, straining his heritage, the color, the blackness, right? The, those, you know, it's getting drained from him and the world around him as well. And San Francisco's doing that. So there's really not much else to say for me in that. The camera work is a bit shoddy, but there's nice fluidity between right. their interactions. And I think that actually already there was this shared safe domestic space because when they actually start to get to one know one another it's within the confines of either her place or his and there's the and it is so bright coming in from the windows outside and this i don't think was maybe intentional but it's so white and i'm like hmm is it because san francisco is so white okay. and i just wanted to think that that it's so blinding and it's because again they're not escaping it necessarily and it's pervasive it's um what's that word it's omniscient, right? It's omnipresent, rather. Yeah, there <laughs> you go. Damn it. <laughs> Rough draft. <laughs> it's omnipresent. Nice. I think, you yeah. know, and that, um, and the whiteness of San Francisco. So that is the color play there, though, which, again, bridges into that thesis that I had at the very beginning. There's bold, symbolic color palettes. And even if it's ugly, <laughs> it's bold, right? Yeah, it's for just sure. It's just drained of color, and at the very end you know, it pops back into that color. And I think that because, you know, they've forever changed their lives. Um, It's a very ambiguous ending. You don't really think that she will ever see him again, that kind of thing. But it's back to maybe he's found a little bit of that life that he's, but a little bit of that color that's been, you know, Because the color literally returns to the film. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They went oop on the slider in their uh, (laughs) their video editing software. So I don't know. That's, That's what I had for the movie really shortly, I think. Yeah, that was only like five, seven minutes that I we know. took on that. And that's it, you know, it's really about it's really about two people pretending to be a couple mm-hmm. and specifically a black couple. They go mm-hmm. to the museum. He says, Well, this isn't a you know, black activity on a Sunday or something yeah. like that. You know? And they're just sort of 
they're just trying it out, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think I think I kept seeing those colors come in a little bit, a little bit, and I think it's fluid. I think it's a bit more colored, and sometimes not, especially at night. Mm-hmm. It's like totally black and white because that's when they're really pretending. Right, you know, they're out, but they're trying to blend in as much as possible. For sure, you know. I saw a lot in this film. Barry's Chiron, which is in Taurus in his natal chart. Um, Are we doing it? No, not yet. Okay. This is, you know, Spoiler this is alert. just a a little taste of what's to come. But, you know, we've talked <laughs> in about. like two minutes. Like two minutes. We've talked about Chiron a bunch. Okay. Uh, your, your past. It's the wounded healer. It's supposed to exemplify your past wounds. So It, it is replacing communication. Yeah. We're not really talking this about communication. It's Chiron, which is a little cooler. So. I know. I know. The Greek centaur. Um so with Barry's Chiron and Taurus, my reading of that is, you know, maybe going back to this like idea of past lives or like early childhood wounds. Generational. Um, generational, generational sure. right, yeah. Is this feeling of being deprived something. Um, now, because it's Taurus, likely that's something material. Um, but because Taurus is also ruled by Venus, I'm also like, okay, this could also be a deprivation on like an emotional level. So with Joanne specifically, you take a look at, you know, her, her boyfriend, the art curator, whatever the hell it is, My, um, Mika, Micah rather mm-hmm. comments on her shirt. It's like, what, what, like what, what's on your shirt? And it's like, yeah. uh, Barbara Loden. Is that her name? Yeah. The Wanda, that woman. Just female, female artist. Great right? female yeah. director. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 So what oh, is Wanda? That's, I know. Wanda, the, yes. the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's on Criterion. i think I stole your account to watch that No, movie. Chiron, not Criterion. <laughs> <laughs> so Joanne is kind of like, you know, you talked about- Between worlds a little yeah, bit. Exactly. Yeah, One foot in, one foot out. You know, out. feeling yeah. like an outsider. But how is she trying to fit in with the white community in San Francisco with her boyfriend? You know, it's the way she talks, which the activities she does, the uh, clothes she wears. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all a very material surface level thing, trying to kind of like- uh, heal that conflict she has with her identity. Yeah. So, and it's not, um, it's not inauthentic. No, I no, think it's he not. questions that authenticity, but it's because it's, it's the authentic identity mm-hmm. that they're trying to portray again by, you know, play dating as a couple. For There's sure. a performative aspect to it. Right. And that's where I think that again, Barry, I agree with you where it's like not a vessel, but Barry is portraying it as <laughs> yeah. a truth. And he knows that truth because there's a performative aspect when it comes to, Look, if you make a movie about masculinity, which Moonlight very much is, yeah, everyone, a lot of people understand that because they know that gender is a performative aspect, just much as race is. The but, only you thing know. I meant with that comment, with like medicine specifically, is that it seems like a much less personal movie, um, because I think the message is a little more. Um, I don't want to say universal because that's not what I mean at all. I think it's, it's just a not little as more proficient as it doesn't. Pro- it's I a little think broader. It is, yeah, but not yes, at the same yes. time. I think you know, it's like this is the message. Whereas, like, you don't have to dig as much to get there. We've talked about that, I yeah, know, but yeah. you don't have to dig as much to get to the truth of the movie with medicine that you do for Moonlight. <laughs> a There's a lot more to unpack. It's right there for you. It's right there for you. They end up uh, eavesdropping on a conversation about housing policy, right? And uh, the protection of certain neighborhoods, sure, and specifically, you know, dilapidated neighborhoods. So, and then, an and exam- then you like all you already think it's about gentrification, and yeah. then you just say it. So I know. Well, there's an example of that Chiron and Taurus again for like you know the black community um, through 
medicine for melancholy is like, yeah, the inequities that those marginalized communities experience yeah. in, in terms of like, you know, the resources and wealth they have, the, the properties. So that's And the optics there. there, the lack of anyone really looking at them. Sure. Yeah. And then take a look at Mika or Micah. I'm sorry. Every we got to figure out which one it is. It's Micah because she goes, oh. oh, can I call you Mike? <laughs> All right. It's Micah. So <laughs> we'll set that aside for now. Micah. My apologies. And then he goes, no, it's Micah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I still thought it was Mika. Yeah. Anyway. Who's a Mika? I've never met a Mika. I've only met I've Micahs. met a Mika for sure. Um, How is it spelled though? M-I-C-A. M-I-K-A. Exactly. Because this one's M-I-C-A-H. All right. Well, let's continue. So, you know, the okay. comments he makes throughout the end of the, or towards the end of the movie, going yeah. to that bar with the, you know, indie alternative scene, he feels like he's been not deprived of like, yeah, yeah. Deprived of certain aspects of like the culture he partakes in, like that he doesn't fit in with the indie yeah. community because he's black. So he I think enjoy that it fully for sure. He's an outsider. So yeah. I think that's more of that Chiron and Taurus. Like and with that feeling like he's an outsider, feeling like he's been deprived the right to participate in certain aspects of society or culture, you know, the museum activity, that's not what black people do on a Sunday yeah. because of that, you know, I feel like, and we'll talk about this a little more later, but you brought this up a lot. Him saying objectively, I am black. Right. Okay. That idea. I was going to bring that up right before sure. Moonlight. Yeah. With that statement, I think in a way, his way of coping with that uh, and what he's been deprived is almost like with Taurus, like objectifying himself. Like he's yeah. not a subjective yeah. person anymore. Yeah. You know, he is black. He like is stripping himself of his identity almost, of his subjectivity. Joe, interesting. Where you're, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Where he's just like, you know, I'm not Micah. I'm, I'm black. And that's so, what's more important. So I think- yeah, that plays in there a little bit. You can get really like abstract with the Chiron and Taurus where it like, you know, it strips away the colors and then they're, yeah. they're, the beauty, the, the colors right are there. brought back, you it's know, right when he's kind of, yeah, like maybe Joanne helped him resolve those inner conflicts within himself and help him like piece together his own identity. I don't know, you know, Micah's thoughts at the end of the movie, it was kind of left open. Well, but that's it. it, it again, the there are more talking heads back. than characters. Yeah, Sure, but yeah, with that, it's like, it's almost like something was resolved because the color is brought back by the end. Anyway, I'll leave There's you. almost more resolution in, no, that's not true at all. There's more resolution in, in Beale Street. In Beale Street. I was going to be like, there's maybe more? there's more because you really don't know his fate. But yeah, you just can figure. No one's in jail at the end of medicine. So. No. Um, you were saying where they're objectifying. He's like that objectifying that, himself. So, But that is what I was, um, not but, but. Uh, rather a yes and yes and <laughs> I was saying that in terms of how they internalize that they internalize right. the discrimination they internalize that perception on them which yellow let's get right into freaking moonlight so and also let's um because that is so much about uh internalizing of course what others say to you how they label you and then how you portray that in every single way they talk about Chiron the uh, I was not the also spelled the same as Chiron. <laughs> you didn't see if you already didn't spelled it. That is our big thing. We can peaks. Delete, talk about some peaks. We right can there. delete that in the. I don't. I don't have to say that. You're an idiot. What did you I say? don't have to say that if you want to like go back, just start from the Paula again. <laughs> We're good. That is exciting. Why? No, no, no. The peaks are great. There's the peaks and valleys of this okay, podcast. Take all We're of so this excited. <laughs> yeah, double it up. Reverse it. <laughs> Anyway, it's such a universal movie. It's the best this movie. This movie is like, incredible. I think like the best movie I've ever seen. You'd uh, have to. I don't know. 
for me, but it's up there. It's up there. Look, yes, actually, you're right. This is maybe the best movie. You, it's like one objectively, of the best, right? Might not be your favorite, but objectively, it's like objectively. It's amazing. <laughs> we love Moonlight. I don't know how you couldn't. Um, obviously, we're glad that it won Best Pick. Uh, you know. So anyway, I just wanted to highlight. Uh, Joe points out how Micah in medicine, in medicine for not Moonlight, but Melancholy, he tries to reduce his identity because of, and he's doing this as like a exercise, mm-hmm. psychological, philosophical yeah. exercise, cultural exercise with Joanne um, or Joe, and and says that like, look, the world looks at me in two ways. I am a black man and I get to decide I get power over but also it's sort of like this powerlessness so he's like I'm going to reduce it even further where it's like I am black that's who I am and she doesn't like that that's being reductive you know it's not really being productive uh, in terms of self-actualizing so keep that in mind how he calls himself black because lo and behold there is a character in Moonlight (laughs) that is called that is literally called black and that was incredible when that happened, when we were watching Moonlight. I was like, no shit. Like, that's all in there. The names are prevalent um, in, in, in across these movies, but that's all basically to say. It's that Joe say, asks if Micah can be called Mike. He goes, no, I'm Micah. Again, because it's sort of like able to claim a bit of his heritage and background. Labels and names are so much a part of this. And it's broken up to three into three chapters. A Moonlight solely is about and wonderfully touches on a bunch of themes through character. Um, it, it talks about deep, complex themes, and it's, again, reflected through character first and foremost. As one critic said, it's broken up to three, into three chapters. Uh, childhood, he's called Little. Mm-hmm. That's his nickname. Then Chiron. Mm-hmm. Chiron. <laughs> yeah. But Chiron in uh, adolescence and then adulthood, he's black. And that's, again, a new persona, all new identities. You wanna you wanna open up this astrological bag? There's like hi, hi. our cat's eating a wire. Oh, oh she just she wants thinks some love. she knows we're wrapping up too. She's like part two. Oh, that means I get to say hi. So there's a a lot of significant astrological themes in this movie. Um, I think anyone who's like dipped their toe into astrology and you know you realize that Sharon is the same spelling as Sh- what his name's Sharon. It's Chiron. No, oh, it's not. Oh, yeah. Chiron. <laughs> Chiron. Chiron. Sorry. Not Chiron. My Sharona. Chiron. You, when you realize this. Oh, Jeremy. <laughs> look, the cat's now on the table. <laughs> Hold on. One minute break. <laughs> okay. There's a lot of important astrological um, themes that show up in this movie specifically. I think, yeah, if you've like delved into astrology even a little bit, you realize that the main character's name is spelt the same as Chiron, Mm -hmm. the ancient Greek centaur. First thing I'll say that I think is important at this time, Capricorn was in Pluto. Now Capricorn is a very slow moving planet, so it doesn't move signs all that often, but I think it's significant. (laughs) I get all my definitions from AstroSeek because it's easy to like parse it out that way. Plug. We'll do ads for your podcast or for your uh, freaking website. The way that this transit is kind of explained. So this movie came out in 2016, again, Capricorn and Pluto. Um, It represents a time when very powerful forces with Pluto, um, it's kind of like bringing up the unseen, digging up 
the skeletons in your closet or something like bringing something right. to the surface that was previously yeah. unseen or buried um, maybe which erupts into buried Jenkins <laughs> Jenkins sorry which erupts into like trans transformation bringing major challenges and changes to the forefront Upheavals, if not right. destruction yeah Pluto okay right this could be you know challenging the establishment and the systems um structures you know, again, the generally accepted rules and truths of society, right. things like that. Um, uh, and that's Capricorn, right? That's what Capricorn represents is what is um, accepted. Okay. Society. Yeah. The rules of society. So this could be like a major transformational time. Uh, 2016, I think th- we've said this. This is like the first of its kind. Uh, the first movie that's dealt with such powerful themes and has been such of race uh, and sexuality and gender masculinity all wrapped, yeah. And has been yeah. praised on such a large scale, yeah. right? Something that's so uh, singular in its vision and also all-encompassing For in sure. its scope. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this transit occurs between 2008 and 2023. So again, it's very long-lasting. Yeah, Last, we're still in it. We're still in it. It's um, It didn't touch Who's gonna his first the, movie. Who's going to make the next Moonlight? I know. <laughs> but anyway, I think that's cool to know. So this is something I didn't bring up before because I was not aware of it until I read this um, article on it. First, it's talking about the moon, the significance of the moon itself. Now, the moon did move into Sagittarius on the day Barry was born, but I would bet you anything that he's a Scorpio moon. (laughs) It was like Scorpio moon for most of the day. So like, I definitely think that it makes sense within the context of this movie. But from (laughs) straightwoo.com, phenomenal name but it's just an astrology site you get some really like funny names on these astrology sites but anyway so in ancient greece uh apparently the moon itself was embodied by three lunar uh, goddesses the first is artemis uh the second is selene and the third is hecate i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that right h-e-k-a-t-e hecate regardless it's not really the most important thing, yeah. but moon symbolized by three lunar goddesses. We see the three um, transitions okay. of wow. little to Sharon to black. Sharon. Sharon to black. Um, so I think that's significant. But just what they represent in mythology, um, Artemis is like young, free, virginal. It's like the early stages of life. The next phase is Sharon. Um, Sharon, when you reach full maturity and expression, you know, he's still an adolescence in the movie, but his expressions are being hindered by his community and group. Right. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And then the third phase, which in um, moonlight would be black is yeah. kind of older, wiser. Uh, so it's just, yeah, the journey of his life symbolized through those th- three phases, the three lunar goddesses, I thought was uh, very cool um, that it lines up that way. And I think that, you know, we didn't really talk about the significance of the moon itself when we first were like riffing off the movie, but yeah. I think it's really cool how it connects that way. And I think um, Barry's a very smart man if all of this was like very intentional, and I'm sure it was. Um, so that's the moon. The second, Chiron. Uh, now we talked about Chiron a lot in the Greta episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just Sagittarius. a refresher, 15 seconds. What do you got? Just a refresher. Um, Greek centaur, he was born half um, animal, half man, right? Um, and because of that, he developed these early childhood wounds. That's why he's called the wounded healer. And he was in an astrology, outsider, though, because he was, he was more sensitive. 
than his other compatriots. Well, yes. So as a centaur, his mother rejected him. Um, so he kind of had that um, lack of a strong mother figure. That's why I wanted you to bring Chiron that up. Yeah, sees yeah. that definitely, right? And um, finds it in a surrogate with Teresa. But anyway. And Chiron also finds surrogates in Artemis and Apollo, I believe, yeah, right? right? So that surrogate parent. Wow. So those are the early childhood wounds. But yeah, it's the same thing where he is an outsider because centaurs are known to be kind of like ruthless and tough and, and they're like warrior types. But, you know, Chiron was very gentle and sensitive. He's the healer. So outsider in that way, you know, Chiron is an outsider in the black community. He's a lot more sensitive. You know, he doesn't partake in the the fighting and pushing, you know, when we see little, he just kind of he fights is off on his he own. He play fights with Kevin, right? And they have and 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 again in terms of editing and shot decision and framing, it's very much focusing on male intimacy and doing so in such a loving and playful and like positive way. Right. But it's the bodies touching one another as these two young adolescents, and that will then contextualize and obviously uh foreshadow their own more that that natural progression for two men that are interested in one another for two people for sure. in general yeah so it's just again formally he's really bringing attention to that as well that he does engage right. in that kind of stuff but it's only in a safe space when he feels that he can be he's comfortable he doesn't want to appear vulnerable at any point for in time sure. because of all his bullies yeah for sure yeah. Uh, this is this is little who's played by alex hibbert fantastic just wanted, yeah we haven't yeah. mentioned that yeah so just to brief again like uh with kyron uh, or Chiron, sorry. <laughs> really <laughs> All the pronunciations, Jesus Christ. Uh, with Chiron, uh, wounds... But it's pretty close, Chiron, Chiron. Chiron, it's, yeah, yeah, it's right? very close. Not Sharona. Wounds that were kind of like inflicted at birth, maternal abandonment and detachment yeah. from Paula, um, adopted by kind of like a surrogate family, uh, Apollo, a.k.a. Blue, uh, Artemis, well, a.k.a. Juan. Teresa. Yeah, Juan, sorry. Yeah. yeah, sorry, Juan and Teresa. Uh, apparently are both the names of saints, which we can talk about later. Kind of like- Mother Teresa. Teresa and Juan, exactly. Yeah. So we can talk about kind of like the, because I wanted to get your opinion on this too, like what you thought of the religious elements that are kind of integrated. Chiron's wounds in mythology, like never truly heal. He is a healer. He's um, in medicine. His wounds are always a source of great pain for him, but he uses that to his advantage and- in turn, heals others. So that's the kind of idea behind Chiron. Now, with that, we can delve into that a bit more. But basically, I think it's like just interesting how well, you know, the myth lines up with the movie. It's like a beautiful interpretation of it um, between like the different phases of of Chiron's lifetime. Um, Anyway, I like, it's just very cool to read how well everything lines up. And I think back to like, Chiron and Taurus in, in Barry's birth chart. What I got from that, from the movie was like, you know, what are Chiron's wounds? You know, the maternal abandonment. Again, Taurus is ruled by Venus. So it's not a lack of a material thing. It's like, you know, he's been deprived of love. That's it. Like from childhood. He just needs to be loved, right? And right. that's what he finds with Juan. He finds trust too. Mm-hmm. You know, he lacks the ability to trust and the ability to love or to be loved. Mm-hmm. But like he doesn't fully realize that um, until, you know, we get to. Well, to until black, someone else. Right? Well, until. Yeah. Until he he does. He travels all the way from Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know, but we never we never do plot uh, summaries on no. these episodes. And I'm sorry, because uh, if you're not listening, uh, if you're not watching, 
right beforehand or whatever. But he, when he goes and he attacks um, his bully, I'm, I'm blanking on the name right now. I can't find it right now. It's okay. When he's beaten up, mm-hmm. when, when Kevin is forced to beat him up as a display of masculinity and uh, as a reversal to the intimate scene and, and sort of um, mm-hmm. the loss of his sexual innocence right. with someone, you know, those, uh, oh, I kind of got off track, but those, I guess I, what I was going to say is that those wounds though don't necessarily end up healing him because he sort of, it, they scar over, right? Mm-hmm. And there's that imagery of the water that I'll get to. Well, that's just it. Like the wounds never heal, right? The wounds never heal. Oh, just sort of, um, he needs to, oh, 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 but but it, that it's that, oh yeah, he does open himself up. He sort of hardens himself. They scar over. But again, nothing is essentially resolved with him. He's 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 alone and he's empty. He takes after Juan. He's got the crown in his car. He's got all these. He's got all these accoutrements of masculinity, of traditional As masculinity, a, with, the, with the gold fronts, which is um, just with a, the muscles, and it's all just a mask. Exactly, literally. for it's sure. All That's just, like very Chiron and Taurus. It's like, well, using these material possessions, these yeah, things, yeah. you know, to try to protect yourself and to try to shelter yourself. And even but, just his, the life that he's built up, uh, his name, Black, which is elusive and mysterious and doesn't really say anything. And, and even uh, with all these things that he's accumulated, you still see at the end, and we're jumping right to the end of the movie, Yeah, um, that when he sees Kevin, you know, he's still essentially exactly where he started. Like, you know, he has the teeth, he has the car, he has the clothes, but he has the muscles, but it's like, well, what is he still lacking? He's, He's still embraced, la- lacking like love and compassion. It's just that, right? Yeah. Again, that's why I hope not to, we are running long, but that's the thing of like, it's so easy to reiterate, but it is so simple when you're sort of like, we don't have to like keep reiterating yeah. the same thing, but it is, he's lacking love. And we're saying it in a bunch of different ways. The attempt to find love through being little, through being Chiron, through being black and mm-hmm. ending up in that exact same embrace um, in Kevin's arms the night on the beach mm-hmm. that he holds so dearly. And that's where it's so interesting and so masterful from Barry where black is, um, I think, you know, really alluding to medicine for moonlight. <laughs> obviously. Medicine for melancholy. Oh, <laughs> because, because someone is literally named black. It's this yeah. literalness to mm-hmm. it. But then there's this mythological cosmic element to everything where, because it's the interiority that is being externalized, right? Exclusively of Chiron's journey and life and his dream states and mm-hmm. everything is just surrounding it. You know, the harsh lighting during the day and the softer nodes at night because he feels a little bit calmer on the beach and everything everything's a wash in blue because it's a note and color of trustworthiness you know the mm-hmm. beach is associated with love mm-hmm. and trust you know he has his first moments of learning how to trust someone with Juan and that's what I didn't pick this out but um uh, Hilton Alls for the New Yorker says one indelible scene shows Juan holding Chiron in his arms in a rippling blue ocean teaching him to float which is another way of teaching him the letting go that comes with trust, with love, which again, I find so nicely said, which is why I don't say it and I look it up, but (laughs) it it bridges so well where it's like less learning how to float and learning how to love, that's with Kevin and Kevin, and he opens himself up and he does so again by driving all the way out there. So he does does end up having to sort of negotiate 
he drives to Kevin. Mm -hmm. He is slowly opening himself up throughout the night and he stays guarded and it's fluid. And that's what makes it so exciting. That ending is so propulsive and it's so quiet too, Mm -hmm. but it's like, it's explosive when it's like, it's so like loud with emotion. You're like, I'm going to, I'm going to burst into tears. Like, I don't know I what know. I want to do. I'm so, I just want them to kiss. So, I know. I just want them to kiss so bad. Well, that's know? why I love like the moments with Kevin, like on the beach specifically, but even towards the end when Chiron's going back with Kevin and he passes the beach, right? It's like a recollection of those memories. And I love. Before he gets to Kevin's place. job, restaurant. Yeah. yeah yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. So with those moments, I like the vulnerability that that comes with those scenes where everything is illuminated by the moonlight, right? Mm-hmm. It's under the moonlight That's that blue. that is blue. Yeah. Uh, Which takes place the the play is called In Moonlight Black Boys Look Blue, which is the right. Juan's little thing that he talks about um uh, uh an old elderly lady in Cuba mm-hmm. talking about you running around you look blue and everything. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's under it's under the moonlight and in those moments where like all of his vulnerabilities are illuminated, even with Kevin. And Kevin's the one who gave him the nickname Black. You know, you know, Kevin sees his true self. And that's what I was going to say. Yeah, he hardens himself and everything. Yes. Yeah. Well, and yeah, of course. And and it's all and then oh, it's so heartbreaking at the end. And 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 Chiron's just being like, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying my best here. It's basically saying he's like, I'm just trying to be me. But it is that, and that's oh, and that's what I was. That's what's so masterful though is that like he's called himself black but it comes from a moment of intimacy and it comes from the person that he loves and that he wants to be loved by Mm -hmm. and that nickname's there right and so there's that like elusiveness to it but it's actually very intimate and it means something to him that's so um guarded and hidden Mm -hmm. and buried jenkins i know this is Um, like pure scorpio emotions right here like it is like and this is why we said it's literally like dripping in scorpio energy because it's such a Water. water filled like emotional roller coaster it's so vulnerable it's Chiron, so dark and it's so personal Chiron says himself uh sometimes i cry so much i could like oh my god me become like a bunch of drops and like roll into the ocean yeah, or for sure <laughs> okay can i run for a little bit and then we can wrap up i'm pretty sure right yeah look this is what seven ten minutes longer than our longest one in magnolia and and to be perfectly honest, that's like our second most listened episode. All right. Uh, are you good, though? Did you say everything you wanted to say about the Chiron mytholo- uh, mythology? Oh, fully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. You think so? Yeah. If you have any other thoughts, gather them while I do my formal uh, filming stuff. I think stuff. it'll come up with because okay. you're – this is – don't leave this in here. But, like, you're going to talk about, like, the <laughs> – yeah, We can leave it, whatever. The, no, no. No, 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 because I'm like talking about shit you're going to say. You're, you're about to talk about like the rebirth thing, like the, yeah. that shit. Oh, then we're fine. Yeah, we're good. Spoilers. Don't worry. I might not even cut no, this out. No, yeah, cut this out. <laughs> like actually. <laughs> okay, final segment. Conclusion to our sick Barry episode. Oh, we love Barry. So. Filmmaking, formal-wise, these elements. Uh, again, I'm going to look at the colors, um, and I'm going to look at uh, some of the camera work as well. So blue is such an important part to this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it's a little bit more literal than any of the greens or the yellows. Uh, there is this grounded literalness to the movie in terms of, again, as we were talking about, Chiron becomes black. It's an identity. It's a persona. 
Um, and it's and it's and it reduces him down to sort of a bit of an empty vessel. <laughs> Actually, if we can use that word um, of a person because he's without love. And that is really directly alluding to what we were talking about with medicine, where Micah reduces himself down to what he's, you know, he he then objectifies himself. You know, he turns a bit of a mirror back on himself and says, well, this is what society wants for me. So this is what I'm going to be. And it's a bit more of a mask and a bit more of a protective guard to his emotions and to who he really is for this one, which makes it so much more powerful, right? It's through mm-hmm. character that all of these um, societal norms and the identity crises or sort of, you know, discriminatory ideologies that they then carry and internalize mm-hmm. um, through, and it's just so eloquently put because it's through character. Right. It's not that it just happens and that obviously it still shapes the character. It's that it's through his whole journey the entire time. And you see it in different iterations where his mom makes fun of him and then he just internalizes it and becomes that person, right? Um, right. That was I was supposed to put like five examples and only put two. So it's not Paula's doing entirely. But, <laughs> um, but Mother Abandonment. So, um, you know, this is a portrait of another perpetual outsider. And he struggles with trusting anyone and with loving anyone and he finds a father figure in Juan the Hirschlocker who's killing it he we are introduced to him he is he's the beginning of the movie mm. it's Juan going out talking yep. to a street guy uh, and then he kind of saves little from this dilapidated building that already says and evokes so much about the community that they that they live in and sure. the neighborhood and as i've mentioned water and the ocean is so prevalent and it's that it's that blue hue with the moonlight and everything in there um but water's so prevalent throughout the movie and the camera work during that really you know again amazing water scene where he's basically learning how to swim um is choppy and we sort of get we're we're almost in the water with chiron so again it's internalizing his it's that subjective point of view which moonlight is almost exclusively subjective to chiron and that perspective of sinking and learning how to trust and that just keeping us afloat, right? And emotionally and um, trying to teach him how to love and, and trust another person again, which I've already said. But, he be- but it becomes a baptism, you know? Um, as I was thinking, he's dunking his head um, and it's that religious aspect that maybe you were alert- alluding to. But it becomes, yeah. but it's almost this rite of passage into the next phase of his life from a very masculine figure that is... Um, Essentially, you know, um, completely absent from his life, doesn't have a father. Yeah, right? that's why I wish we had like houses in this. I'd love to see like what's happening in this fourth or tenth house, but like, I don't really know mother, what that means, but fourth yeah. house, tenth yeah, father. Okay. Yeah, family, I'm yeah. sure would play in a lot. But yeah. anyway, but it's a cycle of growth. You know, he grows as a mm-hmm. person there. That's a huge scene. Um, he has that connection with Juan. There's drifting camera work. Uh, again, just alluding back to the camera work of this scene and this sequence, you know, the choppiness and sort of, um, very direct subjectivity of the camera sinking into the ocean as he's learning how to swim and then it stays afloat a bit more. Right. And then the very calm and um, extremely sort of inviting fluid panning that happens between Juan and Little looking up to him. You know, no cuts. Often in camera work, if you have a character and it drifts to somebody else, it's because the camera is trying to tell the audience these people are alike. Um, you can do that through editing, but not editing really makes it that they're inhabiting the exact same space and that they trust one another. There's right. no um, there's no emotional break within two people. You know, you have a lot of choppy editing with Paula, 
Mm-hmm. You have these formal disconnect between audio and what she's saying, you know, when she's yelling at Chiron and it's taken over by the classical music, he's tuning it out, right? You don't have any of that. All of it's a loving space that you're trying to be invited into because Juan feels that he's, um, uh, Little feels that he's invited into through Juan and his uh, extremely, you know, calming, fatherly presence. So that's huge. Um, but the water element also signifies trust in another person through a sexual experience. Yeah, So there's absolutely. there's the next growth for Chiron on the beach. It's the same beach, I'm assuming. It's the same water, right? Yeah. And with Kevin, they have that. There's more editing happening there. There's more cuts. And it's with the hands uh, clutching the sand and everything. But I wanted to bring up the fighting scene beforehand that they have, the playful fighting, because it leads back to that. It's their bodies touching one another after so much time has passed that they're connecting again. And it's echoing that play fighting, except now it's manifesting in a really loving, progressively sexual way, in an intimate way. Right. Um, so again, and it's still, but also, you know, when there's scenes together, there's still some editing, but it's that safe space. And it's a wash in blue. It's the blue that is um, extremely comforting, means home, means love, mm-hmm. really, you know? Yeah. It means like self-actualizing and taking pride into who you are as a black gay man, right. really, honestly. Because Juan accepts him, Kevin accepts him, and there's blue all in those, right? Um, so one last thing, and I think I can pretty much wrap it up. There's so much more that I want to say, but we've said enough for all this stuff, and that's what makes it great that there is so much to say and we can cherry pick. But you were talking about, and I want to bridge it, directly to Chiron with the wounded healer is that water is a healing element, you know? And again, there is this healing sort of because of the growth, it heals these societal wounds that have been inflicted on him by the bullying, et cetera. But he dunks his head in that ice bath Chiron does, yeah, right? For when sure. he's with his like with his cuts, right? So it numbs his pain, but dude, it numbs his emotions. Really? Yeah. Kinda, you know what I mean? And it numbs him to literally like his feelings. So if it's yeah. not physical, it's emotional. So he ends up numbing himself. Uh, he takes it out and, you know, gets arrested, goes to juvenile, you know, goes to juvie and then, you know, ends up in Georgia or whatever. But we have that great echo again when we're introduced to Black in the third chapter where he's doing that as a ritual. You know, he's almost this rite of passage into masculinity It's sort of like doing that every single morning, like dunking your head in ice, you know, hardens you up, literally, it numbs you. But it, you know, it is all about that, creating that persona and that mask of like numbness and hard edged, you know, muscles. He looks like a hard ass. Like he's like, you don't want to fuck with him, right? But he's doing that. But it's also bridging back to those wounds when he was a teenager, right? And so he's constantly almost trying to heal those wounds but he can't and that's in and that's black's trajectory towards kevin is that like he can dunk his head all he wants yeah but he's got to dunk his head into kevin's arms yeah i know that's <laughs> to really I... heal those wounds you know you can take as much ice baths as you want but yeah. again it's so evocative it's this literal thing of you know he's doing it because it shows how hard he is mm-hmm. but it's also um He's numbing these repressed emotions that he's been carrying throughout his life. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And that's, again, where, like, I saw so many of the the Scorpio elements. It's, like, everything you just said. Like, yeah. the water as something water that's signs, healing. Water signs, right, yeah. Um, the kind of sexual energy between um, him and Kevin. 
And yeah, it's like he's using tied with water as well. For yeah, sure. Yeah. He's using Kevin as like he's Vessel. using the <laughs> no. He's using the ice baths as a way to like repress his emotions and like Scorpio is such an emotional sign and you know, he's trying yeah, yeah, wounded healer. Like he's trying to heal his wounds by repressing his emotions, thinking that, you know, stripping himself of any vulnerabilities, hardening himself, yeah, having yeah. that persona again, becoming a Chiron gangster, and Taurus, becoming what Juan was because creating that mask, that yeah. materialistic mask like mask for himself, right? Yeah. That that's going to heal his wounds. The But it's not until he like fully opens himself up, opens himself up, yeah. shows his vulnerabilities, which again, the moonlight time with Kevin, like Kevin already sees all that, right? But with Kevin, he feels like he can be his himself. He feels like he's, and I think Kevin's yeah. the only one, Kevin and Juan and Teresa, that he can be his true self around. So yeah, that's, again, I saw a lot of the Scorpio in that. Um, yeah, how like the ice bath was like like a transformative thing, right? Yeah. It like turned him into somebody else. It turned, it turned him, him into him black. Into, yeah, Chiron effectively dies then, mm-hmm. you know, and then becomes black when he, at the end of his chapter, yeah, when he gets arrested, right? But again, it's just so heartbreaking because it's tied to the nickname that Kevin gives him. And he's right. doing, and Kevin's the one who beat him up. And, you know, but, and it's just. Kevin contributed to his wounds. Kevin wounded him. Because of, because of society's yeah. pressures, because of a bully's pressures, because of community pressures, because of what's, uh, because of not being accepted for who he deprived is. Deprived of love, deprived of like his community. Mm-hmm. So in the end, again, it's just self-actualization yeah. of a man and accepting himself in this world that has so many norms for masculinity and sexuality, and it is only that much more pervasive uh, in the black community, which is in large part what Barry Jenkins and his three movies that we've discussed deals with. Deals with how does one be loved and find love in a world that wants to tear that apart. That's Beale Street, Moonlight, Medicine for Moonlight's Melancholy. (laughs) That is what all of these movies are effectively, you know, reductively about. It's about finding, and and again, it's why I brought up the James Baldwin thing, because his, that Baldwin work really um, frames and and inspires and uh, contextualizes his work, uh, Barry's work. Because it ended up being about like, well, what's going to help us in the end? Love. Well, if we can't do that, then we're fucked. (laughs) Yeah. And for medicine, it's a bit more of a downer because they can't really do that because there's too many hurdles that they've already, there's too many walls that they've already built up for themselves. Um, and, And Micah's in a real transitional phase there and everything. But Barry ends up settling a little bit more and and then, and then it's the actual adaptation of that work with Baldwin that, that is so much about like, it's just a love story. It's just two people trying to love each other and they're being torn apart uh, through glass, you know, metaphorically, et cetera, et cetera. We could go on for days. We could do a whole, we could do a whole mini series about these movies. Uh, and for all intents and purposes, if we ever wanted to do an extra bonus episode in a few months, we could just return to these movies and talk about what we didn't. Um, or you'll see a YouTube video about it. So is there anything else that you wanted to add? I think that's everything. Yeah. yeah they're just, yeah. Beautiful movies. Oh, we love beautiful them. movies. And sorry for sorry for taking up two hours of your time here. Um, if we do split this one, then uh, you aren't hearing this, or maybe you will, and we'll be like ah, amateurs and everything <laughs> like that. But um, we just had so much to say, and and I think we did so eloquently. Again, we hope to embody the directors, filmmakers, the creative talents that we take on 
And with this one, I thought that we were fluid. <laughs> we were loving. There were no arguments on this one. This is true. <laughs> You're I'm speechless. Like, are, you just wor- are you just worried about uh, time right now? No. You feeling good? No, I'm chill. Well, I love cool you. As a cucumber. I love, I love you. you too. I don't know how we're going to feel once the episode comes out, but at this moment in time, we love each other. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, Well, that is it for our Barry episode. Um, I thought for our next director that we kind of tie things together um, and pick somebody who has a very close relationship to Barry, has two feature-length films under her belt. Special presentations. Um, by the one and only Lulu Wang. Eee! So Lulu will be coming up next. A24 All-Stars. Royalty will yeah. be tackling two of her movies. Um, I've only seen one at this point. We'll be revisiting The Farewell and yeah. then another one that's um, both new to both of us. Both new to both of us. <laughs> What's it <laughs> both, called? Both. Um, post-humus, oh, one might yeah. say. <laughs> <Posthumous>. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, We're so keep saying posthumous. That. Um, is that right? Posthumous? Posthumous. 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 Mm. Uh, from 2014. Uh, that's Lulu's directorial debut. Yeah. Feature length. Debut. Debut. So, yeah, everything's going to be Lulu uh, in two weeks from now. Hell yeah. Watch up. Watch both movies. The Farewell made me cry in theaters. It's a it's a beautiful movie. I'm you excited to rewatch it. Yeah, I was Amazon. like, I was like looking away from you. I was like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, so just crying my uh, <laughs> cry on my shoulder. I'm always here for you. Oh, man. OK, I appreciate that. But uh, before then, you're welcome to check out our Instagram um, after the stars podcast, our Twitter MTTS podcast, Yellow. our Facebook map to the stars podcast or our email map to the stars podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah. Rate, review and subscribe. Thank you for listening to this. If you are literally listening to this, uh, it means so much to us. We can record these long drawn out episodes and uh, we love doing this and we just want to so keep fun. we just want to keep the support going and uh, we want to give more content for everyone and for ourselves to just, you know, preoccupy and get closer to this. Um you having watched Moonlight and realizing, wow, why oh didn't God. I watch it before? And me just realizing how amazing it is and why films, again, the the reality of this, astrology, film, you get to know other goddamn people and you what makes empathize yeah. and you, hey, you find love and you try to be loved. And that's Aww. all that matters. And that's what, that's what we talked about on the first one and the Spielberg one too. Yeah. Just it's love all, and being it's, loved. It's literally all that's about. It's all that keeps us going. Spread our it. Our love for each other. Spread our love it. for a cat. Uh, sayonara, people. Bye. Bye.